The reason why today is special and the reason why I'm excited is that for the next couple of weeks, we get to slow things down. We're going to slow it down as we engage the word, but also as we teach practices that allow all of us to know how to draw closer to Jesus in a very practical way, how to practice, as Brother Lawrence once said, practice the presence of God. So you're going to need your Bible, your journal. You, you're going to need to set aside some time to reflect, to ponder, to meditate, to pray over the next couple of weeks. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to meet us personally and profoundly over the next couple of weeks. Now, we're going to start today not by looking at any practices, but I do believe it's important for us to look at the person of Jesus. Today's sermon is titled, Jesus as the Non-Anxious Presence in the World. Now, you and I know, especially over the last year and a half, the level of anxiety has skyrocketed. In fact, uh, uh, people have dubbed anxiety as the mental condition of the 21st century. It is such a pandemic all over the world of people wrestling and struggling with anxiety in their everyday lives. Robert Lay, a psychologist in Canada, said this about high school students that he did a study on. He said the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety than the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. Think about that for a moment. In, in other words, the, the average high school student right now, their level of anxiety would have got them hospitalized in the 1950s. That's how intense and hectic this season is. Now, I'm sure we can point to a whole bunch of things, whether it be the amount of screen time, the amount of time we've spent on social media and how that impacts our identity and how we view the world. We can look at uh, the pandemic. We can look at the rising uh, job loss, especially in our nation uh, of South Africa. We can look at the uh, degree of comparison we live in in the world. We can look at a lot of different things to kind of give an answer to why anxiety is such a massive, massive issue for all of our lives. And the interesting thing is that this is not just a social issue. This is also a Bible issue. You see, we might give it all these reasons as to why we think anxiety is an issue, but the Bible also thinks that anxiety and fear are a genuine issue for the people of God. Uh, if you have read the Bible for any amount of time, you would have come across this uh, command or even this biblical idea of do not, do not take on or make idols for yourself. Now, the word idol literally is anything that we place either above God or we use to replace God. It's, it's what we look to to find our identity, our worth, and our meaning in life. And that is a big topic in the Bible, massive topic in the Bible. However, do not be afraid is mentioned 12 times more than do not make idols. How crazy is that? 
And on top of that, do not be afraid is mentioned four times more than do not be prideful. That shows us that this is a big issue in the Bible. Continuously, God is speaking to leaders like Moses in the Old Testament and he's continuously speaking to the people of God and reminding them and commanding them to not be afraid. Anxiety is a big thing. Greg W. Mitchell uh, says this. He says, anxiety is what it feels like to mistrust God. Anxiety is what it feels like to mistrust God. Another phrasing could be this, that anxiety is imagining life without the presence and the possibilities of God. It's a big topic, but I think it's so important that we understand that even in this topic, God has a way for us. You see, Jesus is not just the way to the Father, but Jesus also makes a way. In situations that seem impossible, he has creative power to make a way where there is no other way. But I do think it's important for us to start in the beginning. And very briefly, I want to remind us of Genesis chapter 3, where this whole reality of anxiety actually began. In Genesis chapter 3, as some of you might know, we have Adam and Eve out in the Garden of Eden. They've got all these beautiful trees around them, but they've been told not to eat of one particular tree. But in a moment, the enemy, the serpent comes into their miss and, and, he, and he challenges what God had said to them. Did God really say? And it's this phrase of, did God really say, that, that sowed in a seed of doubt. And the reality is that when we are anxious, we doubt one of two things. We either doubt the power of God or the goodness of God. We either doubt the power of God or the goodness of God. And so in this moment, this doubt leads to them mistrusting God. And in them mistrusting God, they replace, they trust for God for trusting themselves. They stop trusting God and they trust themselves. And we see this because as they took of the fruit that they weren't supposed to take, they were essentially saying that we now want the authority to define for ourselves that which is good and that which is bad. We no longer trust God. We want to trust ourselves. But the problem is when we stop trusting God and we just trust ourselves, anxiety has free reign. Because we can't see all the permutations and all the possibilities of one decision. And so therefore, we live in anxiety because we trust ourselves and we don't trust a superior God who knows all things. And so when he says, go this way, he has seen all the possible outcomes of this one way versus another. So we mistrust God and then we trust ourselves, which leads to anxiety that leads to some really bad decisions, just like Adam and Eve. And what we find that they do is that they do uh, two things, right? They respond by hiding 
and they, they're hiding to somewhat try and control and manage the situation. And they also respond by blaming. And they're blaming to kind of not manage the situation, but protect themselves. Anxiety is such a real thing. It's a real thing for all of us. And I believe that the answer to anxiety and all the nuances of being anxious is trusting in Jesus. But what does it practically look like to trust in Jesus? So here's what I want to say today. I'm going to repeat this a few times today. Here's what I mean by trusting Jesus. Is that we need to learn the spiritual discipline of responding to God instead of reacting to others. This is important. We need to learn the spiritual discipline of continuously responding to God instead of reacting to others. Jesus, for instance, all right? Jesus incarnates. In other words, he becomes God-man. He, he comes upon the earth relinquishing his privileges and he lives amongst men. And, and in so doing, Jesus enters into people's struggles but does not respond as the people in the struggle. He, he responds differently. And why is that? Because Jesus, who comes into the world as a non-anxious presence, is living his life responding to the Father instead of reacting to the world. Please, let me say that again. Jesus comes into the world as a non-anxious presence, and he becomes a non-anxious presence by living as one who responds to the Father instead of reacting to the world. So today, we're going to look at one text, one main beautiful text out in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 22, all the way through to verse 33. If you have your Bibles, good time to turn there, and let's read together verse 22. Immediately, he, speaking of Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me. To come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, 
Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, we are so grateful that you have come into the world as a non-anxious presence that we can look to. I am praying, oh Jesus, that you would help us today to learn the discipline of responding to you instead of reacting to the world, instead of reacting to others. I pray that even as we are listening to the message, you would highlight ever so mercifully, ever so graciously, the areas of our lives that seem to be driven by anxiety, that seem to be drowning in anxiety, and that you, Lord, like Peter, you would reach your hand down to us and you would save us. You would help us. Lord, I pray all these things in the name of the word that became flesh. Amen. This is a beautiful story. If you've uh, read the Bible for a bit, you might even recognize another story that is somewhat similar to this one. It is a story found in the book of Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is sleeping in a boat whilst there is a storm on the outside and his disciples are freaking out to the point that they go to Jesus and they say to him, do you not care? Do you not care that we could drown? Why are you sleeping in the midst of a storm? And both stories, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a lesson. He, he wants them to know how to apply faith in the midst of a storm and how that faith will allow them to live above fear, how that faith will allow them to live above the anxiety. Now, this is very important. The, the reality is God has made us with a perspective in our own bodies of fear, right? And, and the whole reason that we have some degree of fear is so that when there's danger, we might be able to respond or react accordingly. But sometimes the fear we have and the anxiety we have drives and leads and consumes our life. Not just when we perceive danger, but when we perceive maybe that we might not be seen a particular way, we might not get a particular thing. And this kind of anxiety begins to dictate our lives. So this scripture, Jesus is helping his disciples to know how to apply faith so they can live above the storm. There are three rhythms that I want you to see in this text that if we would follow Jesus in these rhythms, we might be able to respond to God instead of reacting to the world. Here's the first one. Jesus withdrew to pray. Jesus withdrew to pray. This is the God-man, right? Like if, if he thinks it's important to withdraw, to get away from the crowds, in fact, not even just get away from the crowds, to sometimes dismiss the crowds. You know those friends who are still there at 12 and you know that the curfew is at one and you're like, I wanna sleep. It's okay to go home, friends, right? It's okay to tell them, guys, go home. I, I need to spend some time 
reflecting, I need to spend some time in prayer. Now, before you kick your friends out, if they are hanging out at your place on Sunday, let them finish this message first. Now, here's what I want, to do, want you to see. Jesus has no problem in the midst of his call, that the great call that God has given him to come and redeem all of humanity to himself. Jesus considers withdrawing to pray a part of his mission. It's not an add-on. It is an integral part of what he does. And we find these continuous rhythms in Jesus' life that he retreats and returns. He retreats and returns. He retreats and goes into isolation and he returns and he's ministering and he is working and helping people. And then he retreats. This is a continuous flow in Jesus' life. Luke 5 verse 16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often did that. How often do we just take time to distance ourselves from the crowd, to even dismiss the crowds so that we might go to lonely places to pray? Uh, Early this year, I think it was January, um, I got a privilege of reading a brilliant book by a guy called Gordon MacDonald. Uh, and he's, the book was called Ordering Your Private World. Recommended. Very short read. Here's what he says regarding this topic. He says, Jesus knew his limits well. Strange as it may seem, he knew what we conveniently forget. Time must be properly budgeted for the gathering of inner strength and resolve in order to compensate for one's weaknesses when spiritual warfare begins. Time must be properly budgeted for the gathering of inner strength and resolve in order to compensate for one's weaknesses when spiritual warfare begins. What if sometimes we lose to temptation, not because we are rebellious, but because we are tired? So I want to encourage you to create time to pause, recover, and rest. And and this is why distancing ourselves or rather withdrawing to pray is so important. It's not just the withdrawing we need to do, it's also the praying. You see, the withdrawing allows our bodies to rest, but the praying allows our spirits to be revived and our souls to be filled. When we talk about praying, more often than not, we think of prayer as asking and petitioning. But I want to suggest uh, a few thoughts to you about prayer. I think it's important to ask, but I also think it's necessary to abide. Sometimes we need things from God and we need things to be done by God, but other times we just need God. (laughs) And so therefore we ask But at other times we abide. And and what I mean by abiding is the following. See, sometimes in prayer we, we, we know how to wrestle against the evils that seem to be coming at us. But sometimes beyond wrestling against, we need to learn to relax in. That's what I mean by abide. Relax in the goodness 
and the power of God. If I can put it in layman's terms, relax in the fact that God has got this. He's got this. He's got this thing called humanity. He's got this thing called redemption. He's got this thing called life. And it doesn't have to all be on your shoulders. Sometimes prayer is about relaxing in the goodness and the power of God. We also know that prayer is where we give thanks. But I want to suggest that we give thanks But also prayer is a place where we need to give thought, give thought to, intentionally uh, to meditate and think through the word of God. To deliberately slow the text down so that we are contemplatively praying. We're not just praying in a rush because we need something done, but we are contemplating, we are thinking deeply about who we are praying to as we pray. You see, the opposite of contemplative prayer then is not action, but it's reaction. I love what C.S. Lewis once said. He said, um, you, how you react to interruptions is who you really are. How you react to interruptions is who you really are. That is a big blow to me because I know how I reacted when my son interrupted me this morning while I was trying to get ready for this sermon. And I realized even in that moment that I was anxious about today. I was quite anxious about getting this message ready so that hopefully it might equip and empower you. But maybe as we are in prayer, As we withdraw and pray, not only do our bodies recover, but our spirits get revived and our souls get refueled. So that in moments of expected interruptions, which you and I can expect today, there will be something that interrupts the order of your day. That when you react, you pause and you realize, I don't have to react. I can respond to God and not react to this interruption. Point number two, Jesus is urgent, but Jesus is slow. Jesus is urgent, but Jesus is slow. The story continues that when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was long away from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against it. Now, isn't it interesting that when the waves and the winds of life beat upon the boat of our own lives, right? That Jesus is not found waiting for us at the shore, but Jesus is found walking in the midst of the wind and the waves and the storm, right? That that Jesus is not waiting for a good moment in order to visit you, he comes in the good and in the bad. The question is, can we see him? The question is, can we notice Jesus? See, here's what the disciples notice. It says, uh, but and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him 
walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, let me give you the context of what's going on in this text. Now, the Sea of Galilee technically is not a sea. It's actually a a giant lake and its weather patterns continue till this day to be quite erratic with massive storms and waves and wind. The disciples are not uh, uh, um, strangers to the sea. They're not strangers to water, but what seemingly is happening here is that the winds have blown them off course so much so that it says in the text that it is only at the fourth watch of the night that they saw Jesus coming and walking on the sea. Now, the reason why this is important is that the fourth watch uh, comes from um, how the Romans defined the nighttime. They broke the nighttime into four sets of three hours and each one was called a watch. So this was the last watch of the night. It was somewhere between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. So the disciples had been out in the Sea of Galilee for nine hours straight. They must be exhausted, tired, just trying to figure out a way to get past the riptide of the wind, the sea, all this reality that's pushing up against their boat. It's early in the morning and here comes Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus comes to them, but he comes to them walking. You see, Jesus is urgent but Jesus is slow. He's not running towards them, but he is slow. This is important. You see, we we learn great lessons based on the speed in which we are walking. You see, when, when we are slow, we notice. When we are slow, we learn. But also when we are slow, we love. Uh, my kids, uh, some of you might know I've got three kids, they can't do some things as fast as I can. And sometimes it irritates me that they are slow and I really need them to hurry up because I'm going to be late for something. But it is an act of love to slow down so that I might commune with them. It is an act of love to create a space where I slow down for the sake of love. Uh, uh, no better story than the story of John Ortberg and Dallas Willard better uh, uh, communicates the power of slowing down in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, John Ortberg tells a story where he went to Dallas Willard, who was his mentor, and he asked him this one simple question. What do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? It says that Dallas waited for a while and responded to him clearly with this answer. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John kind of wrote that down in his paper and said, all right, great. That's a great point, but what else? And Dallas responded to him, there's nothing else. You see, if we want to know Jesus, if we want to love Jesus, we need to slow down. 
in, in, a, in a culture that almost believes that hurry is a spiritual gift or a fruit of the spirit. Sometimes when we are not in a rush and when we are not busy, we think there is something wrong. But what if eliminating hurry from our lives can allow us to notice the beauty of the things around us, but more importantly, notice and enjoy the beauty of relationship with Jesus. To slow down is important. See, it's in this moment that Jesus then says to his disciples, I want you to take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Um, Matthew is kind of a, a genius here in the way he writes it. The word here, it is I, literally translated is the Old Testament word, I am. And this it is I is slap bang in the middle of this entire story. It has about 90 words uh, before it and 90 words after it as we are reading this text uh, from verse 22 to verse 33. And Matthew is literally trying to bring out of the text that at the center of this moment is the I am God. That as we realize Jesus for who he is, as we look to him as the non-anxious presence, we not only take heart, but we can overcome fear. This is why it's important for us to slow down. It's why it's important for us to create a space to slow down for the sake of love. And lastly, Jesus is never panicked, but always trusts and cares. Jesus is never panicked, but he always trusts and cares. Um, when we read the story further, the Bible tells us that Peter answered Jesus when Jesus said, hey, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter responded to Jesus by saying, if it is really you, call me out. Call me out to the sea. Now, let me tell you why they thought he was a ghost and why Peter is going, if this is you, let me come out. Um, the ancient Hebrews considered the sea to be rather a chaotic place. Um, they believed that the sea was not necessarily a place where we relax, but they, they, they were spirits in the sea that people who had passed away in the sea, they, they spirits were still hovering around the sea. So when they saw this person, they were afraid because they thought this was a spirit from the sea and they didn't consider it to be something that was good. They thought it to be something that was evil. So Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's really you, call me out. Call me out to the water. And so Peter does. Jesus says, come, and Peter goes out to the water. I, I, I love this text because it reminds me that fear does not need to paralyze us. And you see, it's, it's the word of Jesus in the midst of our storm that gives us the power to move even when the storm is raging. It is the word of God spoken to us. It is the word of God that calls us out, that allows us to not be paralyzed, 
but instead that we keep on moving even in the midst of us feeling like we are not entirely sure. We don't have it all under control. We can still move forward because he has spoken his word. This is why we have to be people of the word. So that in moments of waves and wind hitting against our boats, we are not waiting for the wind to subside, but what we are looking for is the word to arise from us, the word to be spoken to our souls. And it is the word that determines our movement, not the wind. Because if we're always waiting for the wind, how many of you know the wind of Corona is still out here? If we are waiting for the wind to end, we might wait too long. But if we are trusting the word, if we are looking to Jesus's word, we will be able to move even in the midst of the wind. It goes on to say that now Peter has started walking outside the boat and he's walking on water. Unlike you and me, unlike all the other disciples, Peter's walking on water. But eventually, Peter's eyes gets caught to the wind. And it it tells us here in verse 30 that he saw the wind and was afraid. See, instead of looking at the non-anxious presence of Jesus, He started looking at the reality of the wind. And when he looked at the reality of the wind, he got afraid. And because he was afraid, he started sinking. But here is again the beauty of Jesus. Even as he is sinking, he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out to him and saves him. What happened to Peter? Peter panicked. Peter panicked. He He stopped looking at Jesus and started looking at the circumstances and looking at the circumstances. Do not fix it. Do not allow him to control it. You know that feeling where we think that the more we think of the circumstance, maybe we can be able to control it. But actually, the more we think of on the circumstance, the more we are swimming in it, the more anxious we are. But maybe the solution is to focus on the non-anxious presence of Jesus so that that might inform the way we engage the constantly changing winds and waves of life. Jesus is never panicked. Remember the story I told you earlier with Jesus on the boat and there is a massive storm. The disciples think they're going to die. What is Jesus doing? Sleeping, chilling and sleeping. And sometimes we think that Jesus' non-panic, his non-anxious nature means that he doesn't care. But Jesus does care. But also, Jesus trusts the Father. See, he cares for us, but he also trusts the Father. The reason he's able to be a non-anxious presence is because he is looking to the Father. More often than not, when we're looking at our circumstances, John Mark Comer says this. He says, we don't need to control or manipulate the people or events or circumstances of our life to a desired end in order to live at peace and happy. Because we are living with Jesus in his kingdom and we are not alone. See, I think sometimes what makes us 
go through a lot of trauma is not the actual trauma in and of itself. What makes us go through deep trauma is when we are going through the trauma alone. It's when something bad, it's when the, the winds are happening in our lives and we feel alone in the midst of it. But here is the beauty of it, that we're never alone. Because Jesus doesn't just trust the Father, but he cares for us. And if we are never alone, we have someone to look to when the winds come. So don't get me wrong. I am not saying that if Jesus is our non-anxious presence in the world, that we will not have moments where we are afraid. But what I am saying is that if Jesus is the non-anxious presence in the world, it means even in moments where the reality of fear could come to us, the reality of faith is just as present. You see, if Jesus is the non-anxious presence, then waves and wind don't always have to result in fear. They can result in faith. The story goes on to say that Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith. In fact, the, the direct Greek there, it's one word. And it's, it's almost like, it's not like Jesus is reprimanding them. It's almost like Jesus is, like as a parent, playfully uh, uh, um, calling them upward. And so the direct translation is, Oh, little faith. Oh, little faith. Why do you doubt? What if looking to Jesus as a non-anxious presence invites us into faith opportunities that allow us to overcome anxiety in the middle of winds and waves? See, my children sometimes love to get into fights with each other. And sometimes when they're in like the height of a fight and they're loud, very expressive, I don't know where they get that from. I, I, I tend to walk into the room and have two options as to how I'm going to engage them. I'm either going to react by coming in and I'm also frustrated. Like, why are you shouting? What's wrong? What's going on? And they start fighting with me. Daddy, it's because of Vio. Why are you only shouting at me? You should shout at Vio too. And it's, it's a whole mess, right? But you know, sometimes when they're in the height of their argument, sometimes I just walk into the room and I just look at them and I go, guys, how are you? And more often than not, they pause and their tone goes from 100 to about 20. And like, daddy, Vio is being unfair or Kuze is being unfair. And I go, oh, really? What do you think you should do? I think maybe I should apologize. And what do you think you should do? I think they should apologize or whatever it is. You see, when, when a non-anxious presence walks into the room, it changes the entire environment. The, the environment allows for us to not have to react all the time. We can respond based on the non-anxious presence of Jesus. See, my kids can learn to respond better to each other based on the non-anxious presence of their dad. This is what I want to suggest today, that as we mimic Jesus in his rhythms, we will find that like Jesus, we will respond 
to God and not react to the world. As we deliberately withdraw to pray, as we deliberately walk in this life, slowing things down whilst yet being urgent, as we engage the world by not being panicked, but rather continuously trusting and caring, we will be able to respond and not react. So I want to leave you with one practical thing to do for literally the rest of this series. Go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. You'll find later on in that chapter, there's a list of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I want to ask you to choose one fruit of the Spirit that you are hoping to grow in over the next five weeks. And once you've chosen that one, whether it be gentleness or, or peace, I want to encourage you to do a Bible study. Find go, go to Bible Hub and find as many scriptures as you can about peace. And take time every week to just memorize one or two of them. Journal. Write them down repeatedly. Speak them out. Pray them. Declare them. Share them in conversation with your friends and in your connect groups. When you are feeling like the waves and the winds are coming toward you, remember those texts. Be reminded about where you want to drill deep in your soul to make room for the presence of God. To deliberately live as one who responds and not one who reacts. So, as we're about to end, I want to ask you, I want to implore you right now, go to Galatians, take out a pen and pencil and begin to pen down this one fruit of the Spirit that over the next five or so weeks, you're going to be deliberately growing in with intentionality. So, as we end, I want to pray for you. And I want to ask those of you who don't know Jesus, but you know that you need this non-anxious presence in your life. Maybe you did know Jesus, but you've stepped away from him. Maybe you were hurt by the church, hurt by relationships. Maybe you, you felt like you asked him to save you while you were drowning and he didn't. Jesus cares. And if you want a relationship with him, I am imploring you, I am encouraging you to make a decision today to follow him. So I want to pray for everybody, but I want to specifically pray for you. Lord, I pray that for those who feel far from you, those who do not know you, that Lord, you would remind them that you are the Jesus of the storm. You are the Jesus in the storm and you are the Jesus through the storm. That, that right now what they need is not reprieve from the craziness of the world, but what they need is faith in Jesus. And you, Jesus, you come in the middle of the storm. And whether you quieten the storm for us or not, your presence becomes enough for us. Lord, like these disciples 
who when it was all said and done, they paused and they said, truly, truly, you are the son of God. I pray for everyone watching that they would have that same response as they see you coming into the boat of their lives in the midst of the winds and the and the waves and the storms. May they have the same response as they see your goodness and power and go truly, Lord, you are the Son of God. May you be praised in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.